0: Today we are continuing our teaching series through the Screwtape letters, and we are nearing the end. I think we just maybe have one or two more weeks, maybe three tops. Uh, we've been looking at Uncle Screwtape's advice for his nephew, Wormwood, a tempter demon, trying to lead his patient, which is a young British man, into the throes of Satan, but Wormwood is not doing so well because his patient has become a Christian, His patient is going to church regularly, and his faith is becoming stronger, stronger now than it ever was before. So we're actually going to skip ahead a bit in the book. I do encourage you to read this whole book at some point. I'm just kind of picking out my favorite parts, highlights that are serving sort of as touch points for for teaching uh, and lessons that we can draw from Scripture. So put this one on your list, C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Tape Letters. It's just full of so many great insights about spiritual warfare and the ways that the enemy tries to deceive us and tempt us. This awareness can help us to stand firm against the enemy's schemes. That's what we're instructed to do in Scripture. So we can put on the full armor of God and be ready for this daily spiritual battle that we live in. But well, let's begin today with a quote from Screwtape's 16th letter. He says, My dear Wormwood, you mentioned casually in your last letter that the patient has continued to attend one church and one only, and that he is not wholly pleased with it. Mm. Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. Oh boy, you know, as usual, C.S. Lewis just hits us with some potent admonishment right here. And, and what I love about this series is like it brings up stuff that we don't often talk about in church because it's, sometimes it's just so meta. It is so uncomfortable to address this kind of stuff. And we've talked about this before, so I'm not going to spend too much time on this today, but let's at least take a minute to discuss this. Like we all know about this very uncomfortable reality for Christians today, this thing called church shopping. <laughs> I heard a pastor say once. He said, the bride of Christ is not to be shopped. He was like, whoa, okay. Yes, I agree. But it's kind of this reality. You know, obviously, people want to make sure that the church they commit to is a healthy church with core beliefs and values that they agree with, that align with their core beliefs and values. You know, sometimes people choose churches for good reasons. Sometimes people choose churches for bad reasons. Sometimes people leave churches for good reasons. Sometimes people leave churches for bad reasons. And we're not going to get into all that. But I think the main concern that Screwtape is getting at here, it has to do with our hearts, our disposition, our approach to church in this modern culture today. And this was written in the 40s, and it is amazing how relevant it is still today. Or no, I think it was written in the early 50s. Sorry, I forgot. But still, I'm talking 70 years, and this is still perfectly relevant for the church today. Unbelievable. But our, our best example is to look to the New Testament. The early church was a family. That is how they approached church. They were a family. And of course, they had their issues. You can read about them in the book of Acts. But they were united. They were one in Christ Jesus through this powerful movement of the Holy Spirit during those days. And that was it. They were the church. And we see a picture of this in Acts chapter 2. I'm just going to read this whole thing. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I mean, this is such a beautiful picture. This is really the ideal that the church today is striving for. And sadly, over time, just through centuries of church history and human pride and sinful nature, so much division has occurred in the bride of Christ. I looked this up years ago. There is an estimated 40,000 denominations in the world today. 40,000. And of course, not all of those denominations were born out of some kind of division. You know, Sometimes people just want to make a new thing and do their own thing. But still, the church today, so fractured. So many little camps, and very few of them are willing to work together. I was so disappointed because I called a local church asking if we could use their building, which they don't use on a particular night. And someone suggested I reach out to them and ask. And I was so disappointed at their response, which was no. If the church today works together more often, like this beautiful thing that's coming up this Friday where we get to hang out with a bunch of Baptist youth groups. I'm not Baptist. But theologically, Vineyard and Baptist are similar enough that we can commune together, we can worship together, our kids can play games in a field together. There is something beautiful when the church comes together. And someday, in the age to come, when Jesus comes back and makes everything right, there will be no more denominations, there will be no more splits. It will just be every knee bowing before Jesus Christ. Everyone united under the banner of Jesus. The church, whole and one again. I can't wait for that day. But I've heard it described before as the church is like this mighty tapestry and, you know, the vineyard is just one small thread in this greater tapestry of the kingdom of God. John Wimber loved the church. Whether it was, you know, liturgical Anglican, or snake handling Appalachian crazies. He loved the church. He loved everything about the church. He was a very ecumenical guy. And so today the Vineyard also attempts to work together with churches in our area. But anyway, back to churches and church hopping, church shopping, etc. I think what C.S. Lewis is getting at here is this mindset that Christians today still struggle with. Instead of approaching church like a family, trying to discern whether God is calling you to this family or not, many Christians instead today approach church as a consumer, consumer Christianity, I call it. And and you come to a church service and we rate things and critique things like we're ingesting some kind of product and that's not good. That is not a good trend for the church in America. And what happens is Christians become more like food critics that are trying to pick their favorite restaurant. Instead of asking the Lord and discerning a call, God, are you calling me to this church? Instead of seeing it as joining a family and asking the Lord, how can I contribute to this work that you're doing? That's really what it should be about. So I mean, I hope all of you have had time to pray about that. I hope none of you are here because of some kind of product, I hope you're here because you feel called to be a part of this church family and to contribute to this mission that we have together. Because I can name a dozen churches that do stuff better than we do. <laughs> I can name a dozen churches that have amazing facilities and polished, pristine kids' ministries and, and a bigger youth group and all this stuff. We're not it, right? Right? we are not going to compare if if we're restaurant shopping. But for some reason, we are still here. And I think it's because God has a plan for this little church. Through everything we've been through and through COVID and all that stuff, we are here. And God has gathered an amazing family here. And I'm excited about what God is doing. So I hope you can have some time to seek the Lord on that. Because if God doesn't want you to be here, we release you. You know, we bless you. We'll pray that God will show you what to do. Maybe he wants you to go be a missionary and South Africa or something. I don't know. We'll pray for you. Anyway, I'm way off notes right now. Let's get back to my notes. <laughs> Jesus said in the Gospel of John, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. John 5:19. This is a major cornerstone verse for the Vineyard Movement and we say this a lot, is we just wanna do what the Father is doing. And that's what our church wants to do as well. We just wanna do whatever God wants us to do. (laughs) It's really the simple way of putting it. I mean, there's so many like church growth models and things and you could invest time and a lot of that stuff can be helpful and there's good systems and strategies. But the most important thing is that we seek the Lord and that we do what we see the Father doing. And we should do that in our personal lives as well in everything that we do. Everything should be in full surrender to the will of God. Where we work, what we do with our free time, who we spend time with, where we go to church. Well, let's move on. So in Screwtape's 17th letter, he describes what he calls the gluttony of delicacy. Gluttony of delicacy. And he he says this is not the gluttony of excess, which has to do with just eating too much. The gluttony of delicacy is when someone becomes so picky, so particular, that they are driven to be impatient, unkind, mean-spirited, even. And Screwtape points out this behavior in the patient's mother. He says, Glubos has this old woman well in hand. She is a positive terror to hostesses and servants. She never finds any servant or any friend who can do these things properly because her properly conceals an insatiable demand for the exact and almost impossible. Yikes. (laughs) I mean, I'll be honest when I read this, there's one thing that came to my mind. I can't help but think of this it's a particular unkind slang word that younger generations have been using to describe someone who is unreasonable, extremely rude to waiters, waitresses, anyone working in customer service. They're known for almost always asking to see the manager. Maybe you've heard this slang term. It's actually a first name, Karen. Have You guys heard this? As in like, mom, stop being such a Karen. Can we just go home? Etc. You know, I'm sure many of you have heard this term. It's really unfortunate because Karen is a beautiful name, right? It's a Danish name that means pure. And I've known several Karens, and they are wonderful people. We've got an amazing Karen here with us. We love you, Karen. Somebody give Karen a hug. Please don't use the name Karen as an insult. I know it's like this trendy internet thing to do, but like imagine if someone used your name, as a dig, right? Like, gosh, stop being such a mo. <laughs> Can you just you're just being an absolute mo right now? It's like, what does it even mean? So tell the Karens in your life that you love them, give them a big hug. Anyway, now that we got the elephant in the in the room out of the way, <clears throat> let's address what's at the heart of this issue: rudeness, unkindness, selfishness, intolerance. This is very sad to me, but Christians have earned a negative reputation for being rude to wait staff. Did you guys know this? And for being very stingy with tips. Mike's a manager at a restaurant and he's (laughs) nodding his head, it is true. That is not good, that is sad. They've done studies, statistically, Christians are less likely to tip as much. That's terrible. What a terrible testimony for the body of Christ. You know, ask anyone who's worked at a restaurant for many years. They say Sundays are the worst. And they can't wait for Sundays to be over because a lot of Christians go out to eat after church on Sundays. And many of them either don't tip at all, or they tip poorly, or they're rude to wait staff. And it's not just Christians. Like, there's non-Christians out there that are mean and rude and don't tip, but, you know, stuff like this doesn't help. This is real. Maybe you've seen this before. A pastor from a small church in St. Louis went to Applebee's with some church friends after church on a Sunday, and they wrote this on the receipt. I give God 10%. Why do you get 18? Wow. Wow, I mean, what what a horribly mean-spirited, unkind thing to do. And the pastor of a church did this. You know, on this pastor's church website, it said, Pastor so-and-so has a heart for the homeless, widows, and single mothers with a mission to be a chosen, humble servant of God. Oof, wow, way to drop the ball. I mean... Sounds good on the website, but actions speak louder than website descriptions. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) So, another waitress friend of this waitress who who waited on this table, another waitress posted this on the internet. It blew up, and unfortunately, she outed this pastor and, and put their name out on the internet, which led to a lot of harassment. And that's not good. The pastor complained to Applebee's corporate. The waitress who posted it then got fired. There was then a petition by people to, for Applebee's to rehire this waitress. And this church was eventually closed. This pastor's church eventually closed. I mean, what a mess. What a mess. And it all started with a nasty, disgusting act of selfishness from a pastor You know, I've also seen waitresses post online that they receive one of these instead of a tip. (laughs) Have you guys seen these around? It's a gospel tract. It's a fake hundred dollar bill, excuse me, a fake million dollar bill. And they see the Benjamin and they're like, ooh, and they pick it up and, oh, it's a Bible tract. I mean, say what you will about Bible tracts. They can be effective sometimes. I think they're less effective today than they were 40 years ago, but this is not the way. This is not the way to preach Jesus by shorting someone a tip and then giving them a fake dollar bill. And this thing ironically quotes Mark 7, 6, which says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Oof, oof. Everybody say, oof, oof. Lord, have mercy on your church. Help us to be like Jesus to others. Help us to be generous. And, church, you guys, you are wonderful people. And I have no reason to believe any of you would be like this, to be unkind at a restaurant. But just in case you happen to be one of those people that when you cross the threshold of a restaurant, you just become a different person, just in case you struggle with that, please let me encourage you to, to be like Jesus. Show grace and kindness, compassion, generosity. That's the way of Jesus. <clears throat> you know, I was at a restaurant not too long ago, maybe a year ago. It's a restaurant that I go to often. I like it, I like their food. Almost always, the food is good and the service is great, no issues. But this one Sunday, we were with family, and the waitress brought me some random plate of food. She was like, Here you go, sir. And it wasn't even close to what I ordered. And I was like, oh, I think this is someone else's. I I ordered the chimichanga. And the waitress felt terrible. And she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I can have them make you your plate right away. And I'm like, actually, you know what? I'm a pastor and I give 10% to God. How dare you? No, just kidding. I didn't say that. (laughs) I did not say that. I said, actually, don't worry about it. Whatever this is, it looks good. Can I eat this? And she's like, "Um, yeah, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, this looks good to me. I'll eat it. And so I ate some random enchilada chicken dish and it was great. It wasn't what I ordered, but I didn't want to make a fuss, you know? I didn't really care. It's like I don't go there for food. I go there to hang out with my friends and family. Right? That's kind of what I see as as the highlight of going to restaurants. It's quality time with people you love and the food is a bonus. And I don't have food allergies or anything like that. Obviously, if I couldn't eat it without risking my health, I would say, okay, yeah, please make me what I ordered. But, you know, I wasn't there to be picky. You know, and and most of what they serve at this restaurant is made with the same stuff anyway. (laughs) So moral of the story, let's be kind. Let's be flexible. Let's be reasonable and generous and compassionate to these people that are working very hard for often very little money. So let's not be given over to what Screw Tape calls the gluttony of delicacy. And Paul actually speaks directly to this in Philippians. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Even in restaurants where you're paying money, they will know we are Christians by our love. Amen? So let's do what we can to try to reverse this unfortunate bad reputation that the church has been given. All right, let's move on. After I sip some of this very stale peach tea. I have no idea how long this tea has been in that basket, so I'm going to buy us some fresh tea this week. (laughs) Any tea drinkers are like, thank you. Mm. Mm. Ooh, tastes like 10 years in a cupboard, yum. But I'm not going to be picky, amen? I'm going to be grateful. So in Screwtape's 19th letter, he gets a little defensive, Uh uh-oh. He says, I hope, my dear boy, you have not shown my letters to anyone, anyone would see that the appearance of heresy into which I've fallen is purely accidental. By the way, I hope you understand, too, that some apparently uncomplimentary references to Slubgob were purely jocular, of course. I really have the highest respect for him. So Screwtape, getting a little nervous, and we didn't cover the letter in which he said something that he wasn't supposed to say, but his nephew may have tattled on him. Uh-oh. And of course, this is just some good fun, some, some comic relief from C.S. Lewis. He's crafting a little bit of a meta-narrative between these letters. We're a little more than halfway through the book. We're gonna skip ahead to Screwtape's 22nd letter. My dear Wormwood, so your man is in love and in the worst kind he could possibly have fallen into you may be interested to learn that the little misunderstanding with the secret police which you tried to raise about some unguarded expressions in one of my letters has been tidied over so <laughs> the patient has fallen in love apparently in a way that is very concerning to Screwtape and his purposes but C.S. Lewis also gives us an update on kind of this little meta narrative he's crafting here between letters. Turns out Wormwood did tattle on his uncle Screwtape to what's called the secret police in this bureaucratic demon underworld. I guess they're kind of like internal affairs or something. Screwtape then says, If you were hoping to get my job, you were surely mistaken. He's got to get his jabs in. You shall pay for that, as well as your other blunders. Meanwhile, I enclose a little booklet, just issues on the new House of Correction for Incompetent Tempters. I think that's like a prison. I don't know. C.S. Lewis is very imaginative. I mean, this is a clear threat from Screwtape, telling Wormwood to get back in line. But Screwtape does get back to the issue at hand. The girl that the patient... Has fallen in love with. She is not just a Christian, she is a bold and exemplary Christian. This is bad news for Wormwood, good news for the kingdom of God. She is kind and pure, witty, brave, composed. So Screwtape begins to lose his cool and he begins this long, three-page rant, which I will spare you from, but just venting his frustrations because the patient is now meeting this Christian girl's Christian family and Christian friends. He says, "'Could you not see that very house she lives in is one that he ought never to have entered? The whole place reeks of that deadly odor. The whole house and garden are one vast obscenity.'" He says that the gardener, even though he's only been there for five years, is beginning to acquire this odor, right? He says, guests that come and visit for a weekend carry the smell away with them. The dog and the cat have this smell on them. So what is this odor that Screw Tape can't stand? It's love. It is agape love from the Father, which is poured out on his children. Thank you, Jesus. And, and those who have Jesus in their hearts, we become carriers of this love. We carry it everywhere we go, and it spreads. It affects other people. Simply entering the house of a godly, Jesus-loving family, it can bring a noticeable change for some people, especially people who have a spiritual gift of discernment. They can walk into a house and just sense the presence of the Lord in this house. There's peace, there's joy, there's hope, there's kindness. The love of the Father just oozes out of these faithful Christians. And Screwtape can't stand it. It drives him mad because he is a creature of darkness. And the light is repulsive to him. You know, I love this verse in in Romans 13. <clears throat> the night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I just love that metaphor from Paul armor of light. God's light can become like armor for us that repels the enemy. I love that. Everywhere we go, we can be surrounded by the presence of the Lord like armor of light. So cool. Well, Screwtape gets so upset, his angry rant continues to worsen until it stops mid-sentence. And we read this. In the heat of composition, I find that I have inadvertently allowed myself to assume the form of a large centipede. <laughs> so, so it seems that while writing his angry diatribe, Screwtape became so consumed with hate that he accidentally transformed into a large centipede, which is, you know, a creature even further from his original God-given angelic form. And many scholars understand certain passages in Revelation to mean that a third of the angels fell from heaven with Satan and they became demons, Because demons were once angels. They were once beautiful. They were once magnificent heavenly beings created by God, and they've been corrupted by pride and sin. God has removed his blessing from them. You know, again, C.S. Lewis, he's he's not trying to craft any kind of proper demonology here, so don't go home and say, pastor said demons turn into uh, centipedes when they get angry. It's like, no, this, this is just for fun. These, these illustrations are just that, right? They're caricatures, they're artistic depictions, nothing more. It's a literary aid. Scripture does not reveal to us what demons look like if they even have a, a physical appearance at all because they are spirit beings. So anyway, <clears throat> the source of Screwtape's frustration is this beautiful gift from God to this young British man. He is in love with, with a young woman who also loves Jesus. And that is such a beautiful gift. And this is perfect timing because Valentine's Day is this Wednesday. Awesome. Love it when that happens. Romantic relationships can make or break a person's faith. You know, many, many a wise Christian elder, they've attempted to discourage someone from what we call Missionary dating. Have you guys ever heard of that? Missionary dating. It's when you fall for someone who's not a Christian. They don't know Jesus. And you kind of hope down the line, well, maybe they'll come to Jesus. A romantic relationship is a strong bond. It leaves you vulnerable, leaves you impressionable. And there are some people that date or marry non-Christians and through God's grace, he blesses them through that but there are some whose faith is weak and they marry a non-Christian and their faith evaporates. So I think wisdom would encourage most people, pray for a Christian spouse someday. If you're single, if you're praying about a spouse someday, pray that God would bless you with a godly future husband or future wife. You know, we actually pray this over our girls every night before bed. We, um, just one line of, of many lines in our nighttime prayer, but we say, God, prepare Godly young men for Zoe and Zion to marry someday. We pray that almost every night. You know, and it's possible God may have a calling of singleness for these girls. And if so, God's will be done. We just wanna do what the Father is doing. But a God-honoring marriage is also a gift from God. And so we feel bold in, in praying for that. For our girls, Biz and I have been so blessed by our marriage. I am so grateful for her. She is amazing. I don't need to tell you that. You guys know that. She is such a grace from the Lord in my life. And I'm reminded of Proverbs 31. A wife of noble character, who can find? She is worth far more than rubies. So Valentine's Day is coming up. Let's stand and pray together. And I just wanna pray a blessing over our married couples. I wanna pray a blessing over our dating couples. I wanna pray a blessing over those who are still praying for their future husbands or wives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these lessons from C.S. Lewis. Thank you for the truth of your word. I just pray your holy scripture would be written on our hearts. God, make us like Jesus. Help us to be compassionate and kind and generous wherever we go. Lord, I just pray you would just saturate us in your agape love so that even the people around us can tell something is different and I want that. And Lord, I just pray for all couples, married couples, dating couples. I pray for our singles that are desiring to have a relationship someday, I pray that you would provide a godly young man or young woman for them to marry. Today's benediction is from several different scripture passages, and if you'd like, I just invite you to hold your hands out to receive a blessing from the Lord today. Husbands and wives, may you love each other as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. May you be one in heart, mind, body, and and soul. Let no one separate what God has joined together. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. May they be bound to you, written on your hearts. Be devoted to one another in love, honoring one another above yourselves. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday. Have a great Valentine's Day. We'll see you next week, and hopefully we'll see you tonight at the Super Bowl party.